Here we are again, Jeff Hopkins. This is fabulous. We are uh, meeting for the third time for our new podcast slash videocast called School of Thought. And uh, I'll just do a brief little intro of you. You being Jeff Hopkins, the principal of the Pacific School of Innovation and Inquiry in Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, and I'm Alex Van Tal, a journalist, a small B broadcaster now because like we're broadcasting <laughs> and, uh, and I'm a writer and I'm a parent of uh, a, a learner who attends your school and I've been a follower and a fan for a number of years and my job in these podcasts is to uh, draw out the wisdom and experience that you hold about how to uh, create a better model for learning for young people. So it's, a, it's an honor, it's exciting and welcome. How's your week been? It's been a busy week, but a good one so far. Um, how about yours? Yeah, I would say the same. Like it feels like all cylinders are firing this September. People have new ideas, um, new irons in the fire, and uh, it just feels like lots of work and lots of energy, which is good. Yeah, it is good. You're right. It, it keeps us it keeps us busy, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And are you are you um, are you finding that learners are pretty stoked to be back at school after the six months? hiatus from COVID? Yeah, they, they seem to be really happy to be back around other human beings. And we, the way we've set up the school uh, was a relief, I think, to them to see that they can be safe, but still be around other people. It's been kind of a compromise, or not compromise, but a, an arrangement that's been hard for them to manage on their own. So the school's kind of facilitated that for them. Yeah. They, seem, they seem pretty happy about it. Uh, whenever I want to know what's going on in the school, there's a memes page that someone has created called Psy Memes. Psy Memes. I just look at that to see what's really going on and I, and I get a sense that people are actually feeling very good to be back at school. That's good. Yeah. And I, I was just talking, my sister stopped in just about um, half an hour ago and was sitting with me and, and my son Ethan came out and he's in grade 11 at Psy. And, um, you know, the inevitable question from a visiting aunt is, how's school going? And he said, you know, I was, I was worried that it would be um, that would feel really weird and sort of constrained, but he said that there's no feeling like that at all. It's everybody's in the groove and following protocol and, and really enjoying having that social interaction again. Uh, it's so good to hear. It has been nice. Uh, I think they, and they've been so um, like compliant in the, in the health, you know, restriction way that we haven't had to worry about that. It's just like, they're just been, they've been so considerate of one another yeah. that it's been really easy. Uh, so that's made a huge difference. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm glad to hear re-entry is good for you. So last yeah. week on our last episode, we talked about um, one of your 20 convictions. You've set out 20 very clear convictions about the model that you run at the Pacific School of Innovation and Inquiry. Uh, and the first conviction that we covered um, is that curriculum is more meaningful when it's emergent. So it, 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 it sticks better and it's more motivating when it is coming from within. Um, and we had a really good conversation about that. Today, we're moving into conviction number two. Um, did you say that there's no real rhyme or like no order of importance on these? None, none that I'm aware of. There could have been some subconscious thing as I, as I put them down, but not that I know of. <laughs> okay, yeah. So that's cool. Um, okay, so today we've got, I'm looking at it here, a rigorous inquiry method leads to deep learning. So unpack that a little bit get us started on that sure so i mean i guess there's so many words in there that are kind of loaded but um 
I use the word rigorous, uh, not because it's my favorite word, because I always think of like rigor mortis when I hear that word, but that's not, that's not what I mean. Um, uh, rigorous in the sense of, you know, high level or, or um, that there's depth involved. Um, sometimes when we talk about things like inquiry-based learning or even, you know, lots of other newfangled education terms, a lot of people feel that you are watering down um, the, you know, the academic value of it or that it's somehow it's, you know, really, um, as a friend of mine who's a superintendent says, it's all love, trust, and pixie dust. Like there isn't actually any real substance to it. Um, and so that's why I've used the word rigorous. And then, you know, inquiry is another word that, you know, means different things. You know, it has lots of connotations. Um, we've seen a lot of people use the word lately because it's become a bit of a buzzword in education. So this model happens to be a rigorous one, not just one where it's not just about doing a research project or someone telling you some questions you should ask, or uh, it, it's a it's a very, it's a big model and it's something you have to live and it takes years. And uh, yeah, so it's its its own, it's a, a large beast. So, okay, back up a, a second. You said yeah. it takes years, like yeah. from what, from which perspective does it take years? I think from the perspective of, of feeling like you're really good at it, um, not to say you can't start doing inquiry immediately and also not to say that human beings don't learn this way all the time. We naturally do this, this is actually how we learn. But at school, we've somehow made people think that that's not how you're supposed to learn real things, um, despite the fact that the minute you're not in school is exactly how you learn all the things that you actually want to learn. Um, so we have found that people don't give themselves permission to really engage in inquiry fully, sometimes for you know a couple of years. Um, and then also there are some aspects to the formal way of doing inquiry that takes just takes a lot of practice. Um, Get, you know, getting used to asking questions that are going to lead to inquiry, getting used to um, thinking of how you want to be assessed on the learning activities that you've engaged in, things like that. And that's, I mean, that could be even be a lifetime, you know, but um, it does take a while to get uh, as good at it as people probably would like to be at it. Yeah. So, okay. <clears throat> inquiry is a word that is used all over the place now in education. Mm -hmm. um, you are you are you use it in a in a very organized way so tell me like define for me what does the inquiry method look like you know it starts with a question is that right yeah a question or questions and, and we have a we have a really actually pretty thorough process so the first step is um asking some questions about things about which you are curious and that's all so it's not we're in English, we're reading Shakespeare, we're reading Hamlet, ask a question about the role of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Um, we are actually saying nothing more than, what are you curious about? That's it. Um, and for some people, that's a, you know, the tyranny of the blank page when you're a writer, like, yeah, can you please totally. tell a little more about what I should do? So we do have to help people think about what that might be, um, get over the fear of like things that I want to learn might not be valid things, all that kind of stuff. Also helping people ask good questions that are going to lead to deep learning. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, is there a system question? Is there a theory question? Is there a, a what if question? Um, you know, those kinds of things. But it all starts with questions. Um, right. Even when people think they have no questions, they do have questions and we can turn like a statement into a question, you can take, you can turn a goal into a question fairly easily. So two things on that. One is, as you were talking about your 
um, tools that you have at SAI, um, it just twigs me to, to let people know that they can find that on your website, www.learningstorm.org. And what's the name of that document on the website <coughs> so they can easily... <laughs> um, the name on the website, uh, sorry, what's the, uh, what part of the website is that, did you say? Yeah, like what's the name of the doc or what's the little oh. sub-menu that they hit to get that inquiry method? It's called Inquiry Tools. And okay. in there you'll see a thing that says um, Inquiry Guide. And uh, we have one that's uh, kind of filled out so you can see an example and you can oh, also good. have a blank one that you can use yourself. Um, we also have a little video on there that, uh, that one of our learners made that shows you someone going through the inquiry process that we have with a, an animation that they created that's about two minutes long. So that's great. So lots of tools that people can actually go to the website, watch the video, and then actually download the, the guide and start using. So that's great. That was the first thing. And the second thing was, um, can you run me through an example of how you have guided uh, a learner who has a question? Like, what would, what would that look like in situ? Yeah, well, you know, we start with, you know, fairly open-ended questions. Um, you know, is, is there anything that you've been, you know, really wanting to learn about? And sometimes that's all you need, probably 75 or 80% of the time, that's all you need. And away they go. Um, more has to happen. Um, sometimes even that first, that first opening can be difficult for people where they say, I don't, I can't think of anything. Um, now, of course, that's probably not true. They, usually that means they are censoring themselves because they're at school and there's, there's, they, there's a whole bunch of things they want to learn. They're like, those aren't things I've done at school before. Right. So we have to help them open up that door. Um, and then sometimes they're embarrassed about what it is because it's just something that they feel is so, um, you know, pertains only to them and no one else could possibly be interested in that. So it couldn't possibly be worthy of study. Um, it is of course. So we have to break a few things down to help people, get in there. And it's really a coaching process. Um, right. One of the questions, for example, that sometimes helps in that early stage is um, if you, if you weren't at school right now, what would you be doing? <laughs> and then wow, that's a good oh, question. You doing science? Like, yeah. why would you be doing that? And then that usually leads them pretty quickly into what they like to learn. And so I find like on the psychological front, that's super affirming for children. You know, like, like you were saying, they'll show up with, this idea that uh, a burning interest that they have is not an appropriate interest that they can explore at school because school is for school and my own interests are for my own free time. So just, it's like giving permission to have the interests that you have. And that's really, that's really a good message for a child's developing self-worth, hey? It's very good, it's very good. Um... So, and then some people, they have no problem doing that at all. As, as I mentioned, they just go, you know, they have their interest and away they go. The next massive psychological barrier you have to help people through is if this school thinks it's okay for me to learn about things that I already think are valuable, am I going to get a proper education out of this? So the school might think it's okay, but is the school actually doing what it needs to do? You know, is it doing what schools are supposed to do? So that's the next psychological barrier, which is yes, it will. <laughs> so then we have to show people how eventually how what they're doing is connected to lots of other things and how good questions can take you to depth and can take you into all kinds of um, disciplines that you may not have originally thought of. 
Okay, that's awesome. Thank you. You you set it up perfectly for the next point that I wanted to ask you about because you've broken each of these um, convictions into you know supporting um, elements. And I'm going to read one here. Uh, you've written when learners are free to ask questions based on their own curiosity about the world, motivation becomes automatic or intrinsic. Good questions beyond just looking for the right answers will lead to a level of depth that varies from person to person, but that normally results in greater depth than in prescribed curricula. So tell me how that happens. What, what we've found is that if some, I mean, the motivation is a big part of it, because if you're really, really motivated to learn something, you're going to go deeper and farther than if you weren't. So they're not just saying, what is it that I need to know for the quiz on Thursday? Yeah. They don't care about the quiz on Thursday. They, they want to know about whatever subject X is in depth for their own sake, not for anybody else's. Um, what we've also found is that if somebody is really, if it really is their own inquiry and it really is their own idea, um, they can get into some really very specific um, aspects of whatever it might be that they're studying to a degree that we would normally not get into in high school, especially where we often sort of skim across the surface of things yeah. um, in the name of, uh, you know, well-roundedness. Uh, we, you know, heaven forbid we would go too deep into anything. Um, so they do go deep into things and they take time and they uh, really ponder. And if you give people a chance to do that, there's almost another layer that opens up where they all of a sudden find out there's even more things to ponder and you just get deeper and deeper as you go, as you allow yourself to. And does that, okay, you've got this fancy word that actually you were the first person, <laughs> you're laughing already, you know that I love this oh, it word. Is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a word that I had never heard until meeting you and, and talking with you about, about this form of education, which is rare because um, being a wordsmith, I know a lot of words, but the word is consilience. And yeah. um, so it, my understanding is that it, 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 uh, talks about interdisciplinarity so go into a little bit of depth about that yeah it was a, it was a word i learned from from john abbott actually and he recommended a book to me called consilience and so i was like oh, okay i don't know what it means but i'll read the book um and it's by uh, edward o wilson who actually oh yeah um, you know is quite a brilliant uh, biologist and philosopher i guess you'd have to call him um but the I, consilience as he defines it is what he calls the unity of knowledge and it's that there are analogous connections um, across disciplines and there's great power when you can kind of reach the same conclusions through different disciplines. So if you reached a conclusion by looking at something biologically and then you reached a, another conclusion that was analogous but you were doing it through, you know, looking at the legal system and then you did it also through something that was, um, you know, through, through art that makes that concept so much more powerful and so much richer. And there's almost like a cross validation. Yeah. Those three streams kind of end up converging on the same, you know, not answer necessarily, but they, they kind of take you in the same direction or they, they reach a point where they are analogous. So can I, can I use um, re religion, organized religion as a, as an analog there? Because when you look at all the religions, when you peel away all the dogmatism, all of the religions actually converge on this same idea that there's something, there's a force that is, uh, is greater. You can call it the energy, you can call it the universe, you can call it God, maybe you call it Allah, maybe you call it something else. 
But that's an example of consilience, isn't it? Sort of where all these disciplines, all these ways of thinking can bring you to this one uh, outcome that all of those, all of those um, different perspectives kind of agree on. Absolutely, and you could throw in, add in physics for that, and you could say, um, there's a whole bunch of physics yeah. concepts about the origin of the universe that match very nicely with a lot of religious cosmology. So um, there's, there, yeah, I mean, I think the more things you can find that tell you something similar, um, the, yeah, the more powerful it is. Yeah, that's a good example. That's exciting for learners, right, when they get to that place. Okay, I want to, I want to stay on this thread of, um, so you've got a learner who's diving deep, and as they dive deep, they're going to get a richer, they're going to get more depth than they would get if it was just um, touched on in a, in a traditional classroom. Do you have an example of a, of a learner or learners who have traveled through this path, like that you can, you can give us uh, specific subjects that they might have been diving into? Yeah, I can give you, uh, it's actually the hard part is probably narrowing it down. But um, yeah. so, I mean, some examples where someone has gone very deep in one area, um, which, which, you know, some people, and this will probably raise another set of questions that you'll probably have, but um, um, we had a fellow who was never, had never had any interest in music ever. He was very interested in science. And when we got, he didn't like school very much either. And when we got to, we were looking at some of the physics of sound and he became very interested in the idea of frequencies and how we were using a guitar to show how when you, um, you know, half the length of the string, you're doubling the frequency and you're getting, you know, you're getting the same note, uh, just at a higher, on a higher octave and all these things. And he was just, you could just watch his mind just blowing up while he was watching this. And then he started to play the guitar and I'm a terrible guitar player, but I was teaching beginner guitar. So it's like, okay, here's five chords. That's, okay, now that's the end of my expertise. But um, he just kept going and going and going to the point where he was learning guitar, started in grade 10, built a guitar, then wow. built another guitar, um, then was getting really heavily into music theory and music writing, um, then was writing about music, about like writing about other people's music, um, joined a band. They, they are, he's now a professional musician. Um, wow. They won Vancouver Battle of the Bands and then he they got a recording contract and they have an album coming out. Yeah, any day actually that's uh, well produced uh, that was uh, paid for by their winnings of Battle of the Band. So that's a very, you know, very specific, very narrow line in some ways, but um, this, this was, it was about consilience. It was about his interest in science merging with music and all of a sudden he realized he was a musician. Um, so, you know, after playing guitar for two and a half years, he became a professional musician. So. Wow. And I love that here's, here's this person who is, um, yeah, learning physics. I, my understanding is that music involves some mathematics as well. Mm -hmm. This person is building a guitar. So there's fine and gross motor development there. Plus, I would imagine physics and mathematics. Um, and and, and um, woodworking, right? And then he was writing about music. So then you've got the whole... Um, language component in there and the whole communications piece and then playing the music, delivering the music, working in a band. I mean, that's, that's a pretty wonderful like banyan tree <laughs> of learning from, from one jumping in point. Yeah, it sure is. And I remember when he was, they were writing a proposal for the band to try to play at a little uh, placer called Vinyl Envy that lets new bands kind of have a little bit of a stage and a bit of an audience. Uh, well, not right now, no audience right now. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, they, you know, he had to write this proposal. He goes, how do I write a proposal? And so all of a sudden he 
was writing a proposal. So that had nothing to do with playing a guitar or the physics of guitars, but he had to learn how to communicate what he was trying to do in a way that allowed him to access that venue. And it worked. Yeah. So there's so many disciplines involved that are kind of hung on to that, you know, lots of, lots of ornaments on that Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So examples like that, I mean, that learner that you were just talking about, that is, um, that is a good way of showing educators and, and other learners that, you know, just because your inquiry question starts as something relatively focused, it doesn't mean that you're going to only be in one little rabbit hole to the exclusion of everything else. And I think one of the key concerns with the inquiry model coming from the educator's perspective is, well, isn't that, you know, my curriculum is very broad that I get to teach. It doesn't this inquiry look too narrow. So um, this, you know, examples like that really sort of help to illustrate that it is not necessarily narrow. Not necessarily. Now, the flip side of that is as a teacher in this system, there's an art as much as there's a science, which is um, when is it too narrow? Um, when, you know, when is it broad enough? When is it too broad? Um, so you have to sort of know the individual and watch them because sometimes it might be too narrow for a couple of months. Um, and then you might just have to watch that for a while and then decide if you need to intervene in any way or if you just let it ride and then see if it starts to broaden itself out or connect to other disciplines. And so the, the kind of the guts that you have to have as a teacher in this model is that you have to be willing to let things go a little bit, um, wait and see if you need to intervene rather than having a system that assumes that it's going to have to intervene all the time and march people through all the disciplines, you know, on a timetable, you know, an hour and nine minutes has gone by. That's enough writing. Now it's time to do math. Um, yeah. Make sure that it's broad. Um, and I, I have to say my own jury is kind of out on this now. I used to be worried about that part and I, I'm getting less and less worried about that. Um, we have to meet the curriculum requirements in BC to graduate, but um, other than that, I'm beginning to wonder if sometimes breadth isn't a little bit overestimated, like the importance of it. Um, not to say you shouldn't be looking for connections, but um, I'm wondering about the value sometimes of skimming lightly over a whole bunch of things and not really ever getting to dive too deeply into anything. Well, and, and that, that I totally second you on that skepticism because back to how we learn naturally, right? When I'm interested in something, um, I will ferret out all, all information that I can. I'll go deep. And I think most of us do go deep when we find an interest area. Um, yeah. I, I'm not really interested in a huge breadth. I don't, you know, I, I am a bit of a generalist, but I don't just seek out surface level information of all the things I'm curious about. I do go into um, really serious investigations. So I think that, you know, we've got this mindset in education that we do owe children a, a, a smattering of this and a smattering of that just to see if they're interested. Yeah. But I wonder if it is misguided because now we've got all these curriculum points that these outcomes that are tied to it. And now we've got assessments that are tied to it. And, and it ends up being this thing where, yeah, kids are studying for the Thursday afternoon quiz. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting what you just said too, because I do know that I've heard people say, you know, people don't know what they don't know. And if you're an adolescent, you maybe haven't had all of the life experiences to know all the things that you're going to be interested in. Well, that's probably true. You'll probably have life experiences and you will probably have different interests, but um, we do also try to find a delicate balance as teachers here about when do I introduce something, you know, an unsolicited 
topic um, and when don't I? And so we try to measure, you know, when could we maybe offer uh, exposure to something that could be a springboard for a whole bunch of inquiry. Um, and if it's, I guess I all sort of said, like if it's done with that intention, it's not so bad. But if it's done with the intention of this is a thing you have to learn, don't worry about it. You don't even need to know why. Um, and I'm going to assess you. Um, we don't really have to do that. We just have to expose people to things that we think are going to be helpful. Yeah, and that tags back to what you said earlier about, um, you know, you have to know and watch these learners as they progress through their inquiry. The teacher has to be fairly dialed into that, that child's state of, of interest and engagement to, to assess when it is time, like when is it the right time for the next thing. Um, and that in itself is a healthy and beautiful thing because that means there is a personal relationship and a real um, interest in a child's well-being between the teacher and the learner, which I think you don't always get. Uh, in fact, I know it's actually hard to come by in a more traditional system where uh, you know, people just have to pass through a funnel and, and tick off the prescribed outcomes. There's very little personalization, very little um, recognition of where are you at where what does your brain need right now so that's that's another healing thing so true and i mean we've created infrastructures in schools especially high schools that make it very difficult for people to do um to make that connection and really know about those learners um if you have a you know a five block timetable and people are whirling through your classroom 30 at a time and you know the end of the day and you've seen 120 or 150 people um that's not really conducive to that kind of connection. So a lot of times when people hear about what we're suggesting in inquiry, they say, how could I possibly do that? Well, you can't do that in that system. So this requires a change of system. It's a, it's a different paradigm. It's not a sprinkle on top. It's a, a completely different way of doing business. Yeah, like my son, Ethan, has one teacher who's his point person. Yeah. And that is that in itself is a different condition than you would find in most high schools. And this person is not, his teacher is not a subject matter expert in the things that Ethan is investigating. However, what her function is, is to be a caring guide to walk alongside this developing young um, intellect and developing young soul and just, you know, steer, nudge, make sure you don't fall into any holes. That actually is the role that adults should be taking with, young people and 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 we often do outside the school setting but in school we have this school is this bizarre exception i know it seems to be the exception for everything so at some point you have to ask why is school and <laughs> everything else in a person's life like and then wait the is the school supposed them? to prepare people for life <laughs> i know i know or even uh, i was just talking to somebody about this earlier today um it's actually okay to even start your life now. You don't even have to wait till you graduate. Like you might be living right now. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a renegade idea, Jeff. Oh my I God. <laughs> so, okay. As we finish, I just want to tap your brain for um, like, this is a mindset thing, right? This is a mindset thing. There's, there's a bit of resistance out there. Not so much. And so there's resistance, but there's also a bit of fear. Like how, what do I need to do? to get my head around this. What do you recommend? What, what should people be thinking about in order to expand their schema to accommodate this kind of learning? 
Well, I think, I think depending on what your own situation is, like what your own context is, if you, if you wanted to experiment um, and take, I don't know, even a couple of days and just let people ask some questions um, free, even, even if it was sort of in a context, like, I don't know, um, ask questions about books or ask questions about science or, you know, it could be, it could be within your subject area. Um, but just let them ask them and just see what, see what they're curious about. Um, mm -hmm. Use the template and help them ask good questions. I think that's really important. Otherwise it really will plop, um, but help people ask good um, deep questions that are conducive to like learning. And then um, just see what happens. Let, let them follow that for a little while. Um, and you could do it for you know, a week and see what happens. We worked with a very, very traditional school in China actually last year and they wanted to try this, but they're, you know, terrified of it and worried that, you know, people might not be able to learn all the things they're just supposed to learn for the exams. And so they took two weeks and they did, they did an inquiry process for two weeks, interdisciplinary inquiry. They kind of stopped the presses and did this for two weeks. And what ended up happening is, of course, the, the process has a lot of steps to it and they didn't really finish anything completely, but they did get far enough through it where they went, this is, this really works. And so this year that school is taking a longer time to allow some of those inquiries to carry on. And they've even created a little block in the day that is get inquiries going. And then all the way through your year, you're going to be able to follow one or two of those inquiries um, all the way through for the year, rather than having to cut it off at the end of that two weeks. That's pretty exciting. Wow. So next year is going to be a really interesting year to check back with them and see whether, the, whether they've implemented the model further. Yeah, we're pretty excited. They even translated a lot of our inquiry stuff into Mandarin, which is quite neat. That's handy. <laughs> That's awesome. Good. You'll have to put yeah. that up on the website. Yeah. Okay, good. So as we close, I'll just uh, remind people that they can get some of the tools, the inquiry tools from um, the SCI website, which is www.learningstorm.org. And, uh, and it's, it's a good way to start, like Jeff is saying, you know, throw open the doors, get your get your students and learners to, to ask some of the questions in your subject area that are interesting. That's a really good start. Um, thanks, Jeff, for that discussion about uh, Conviction 2, a rigorous inquiry method leads to deep learning. And uh, we will reconvene next week for Conviction number 3. I look forward to it. It'll be great. Awesome. Thanks, thanks, Jeff. Thank you.